From Pasch to Samartan's Conversion, Part 7, Jesus Preaching on the Mountain near Barotha. Before daybreak of the night between the Sabbath and Sunday, Jesus left Adama. He had taken leave of the people after the exercises of the Sabbath, though without saying that he was not to return. And he now went with his disciples and several of the Jews to the mountain appointed for the instruction. He left Adama by the gate through which he had entered, and that was over a bridge. Had they gone by another, they would have had to ferry over the river that ran from Azor to Cades, and which near Adama flowed into the Jordan. They left Cades to the right, and proceeded westward over gently rising mountain terraces. This region had high mountain ridges that formed great plateaus. There were fewer ravines and isolated peaks than in southern Palestine. Thisbe was to the left of the little troop on very high ground. Tobias once lived in Thisbe, and had there given in marriage his wife's brother or brother-in-law. He had also been in Amicoris, the water city. He might have taken up his abode there permanently, were it not that he preferred to go into captivity, in order to be useful to his people. Laius, too, had been in Thisbe, and Jesus had once before journeyed through it. The multitude was already gathered upon the mountain. On the preceding evening, people had gone thither after the Sabbath and put the place in order. On the summit was an enclosed space in which stood a teacher's chair. People living on the sides of the mountain had been busied preparing for the tents, and already the stakes and cords were at hand. They had carried them up and stretched the awnings over the teacher's chair and other available spots around. The place was one of historic interest, for Joshua had here celebrated a feast of thanksgiving after his successful siege of the Canaanites. Water had been transported hither in leathern bottles, and bread and fish in baskets. These baskets were like our beehives. They could be placed one above another, and in several compartments various things could be put without danger of mixing. As Jesus was going up through the crowd to the summit of the mountain, shouts greeted him on every side. Thou art the true prophet, the helper, etc., and as he passed along, they bowed low before him. It may have been nine o'clock when he reached the summit, for it was six to seven hours from Adama to this place. Many possessed had been led up the mountain. They were raging and shouting. When Jesus saw them, he commanded them silence, and by his command and the glance of his eye, they became calm and were freed from the evil one. When Jesus had reached the tribune, and the crowd had been brought to order, and silenced by the disciples. He first invoked his heavenly Father, from whom come all good gifts, the people likewise praying. Then he began his instruction. He made allusion to what had there occurred, spoke of the children of Israel, of Joshua's once appearing in these parts, and freeing them from the Canaanites and from paganism, and of the destruction of Azor. Of all these events, Jesus explained the spiritual meaning. Thus came truth and light to them anew, with grace and mildness to free them from the power of sin. He exhorted them not to resist as did the Canaanites, that God's punishment might not come upon them as it had done upon Azor. He also related a parable, of which he again made use on a later occasion. It is in the book of the Gospels, I think, something about wheat and husbandry. He taught also of penance and the coming of the kingdom, speaking significantly of himself and the Heavenly Father, as he had done in the neighboring towns. 
The sons of Johanna Chusa and Veronica came here to Jesus. They had been sent by Lazarus to warn him against the two spies whom the Pharisees had dispatched from Jerusalem to Adama. The disciples brought them to Jesus during a pause in the instruction. He told them not to be at all disquieted on his account, that he would fulfill his mission, and he thanked them for their devotedness, etc. The spies sent by the Pharisees were also on the mountain with the disaffected Jews from Adama. Jesus did not address them, but he said aloud in the course of his instruction that enemies would lie in wait for him and persecute him. Still, they would not succeed in hindering him from accomplishing what the Father in heaven had entrusted to him. He would soon appear among them again to announce the kingdom of God and the truth. Many mothers were present with their children, demanding Jesus' blessing. But the disciples were disquieted and thought, on account of the presence of the spies, that he should not give it. Jesus, however, reproved them for their anxiety, saying that he regarded the intention of the mothers as good, and that the children would thereby derive benefit. And so he went down through the rows that they formed, and gave them his benediction. The instruction lasted from ten in the morning till near evening, when the people were arranged in order to take some food. On one side of the mountain there were grated fires, whereon the fish were roasted. The order observed was beautiful. Not only the inhabitants of each separate city encamped together, but even the residents of the same streets were divided into families with their neighbors. To the guests of each street, one man was appointed to bring and divide the food. Each person, or one person in each group, had a leather cover which, being spread out, served for plates. They had with them also such things as are used at table, bone knives and spoons with jointed hands, handles. Some had brought gourds, others cups of bark, in which they received water from the leathern bottles, while others, there and then, quickly formed for themselves such cups if they had not done so on the way. The superintendents received the food from the disciples, and divided each portion among the four or five sitting together, laying the fish and bread on the leathern cover before them. Jesus had blessed the food before it was divided, and by virtue of that blessing it was multiplied. Otherwise it would have been far from sufficient for the two thousand for whom it was intended. Each group received a small portion only, but all were satisfied after eating, and much remained over to be collected into baskets and carried off by the poor. There were some Roman soldiers going around among instructions from him, for he had soldiers under his command. Perhaps they had been charged to bring him information of Jesus, for they went to the disciples and begged some of the blessed bread to take with them to Lentulus. Receiving it, they stowed it away in the knapsacks that hung from their shoulders. It was already dark, and torches lighted when the meal was over. Jesus blessed the multitude and left the mountain with the disciples, from whom, however, he soon separated. They took a shorter route back to Bethesda and Capernaum, while he was Saturday and that disciple, his relative, went southward to a city lying off from Brotha, called Zedad, and spent the night at an inn outside the city. Part 8. Jesus Passes Through Gathifer to Capernaum On the night between Monday and Tuesday, I saw Jesus in the mountains with Saturnin and that other disciple. As he walked alone in prayer, and they questioned him about it, he spoke to them of prayer in private, illustrating by the example of the serpent and scorpion. Were a child to ask for a fish, the father would not give him a scorpion. 
During these days I saw him again in various little places among the shepherds, healing and exhorting Otho and Gathifer, Jonas's birthplace, and where some of his own relatives lived. He wrought cures in this latter place also, and then toward evening went as far as Capernaum. How indefatigable was Jesus! With what ardor he inspired the disciples and apostles! At first they were often overcome by fatigue, but now what a difference! The disciples, while traveling along the highways, went forward to meet some, and to hunt up the others, to instruct them themselves, or invite them to attend Jesus' instructions. Lazarus, Obed, Joseph of Arimathea's nephews, the bridegroom of Cana, some other disciples had arrived at Mary's house near Capernaum. They are present also about seven women, relatives and friends, awaiting the return of Jesus. They went in and out of the house, and gazed along the road to catch the first sight of him. Now came some of John's disciples with the news of their master's imprisonment, which filled the hearts of the little company with anxiety. The disciples then went on to meet Jesus, with whom they came up not far from Capernaum, and made known to him their errand. He consoled them and continued his way to his mother's house alone. He had sent his disciples on in advance. Lazarus came out to meet him and washed his feet in the vestibule. When Jesus entered the apartment, the men bowed low before him. He greeted them and went up to his mother, to whom he stretched out his hands. She, too, most lovingly and humbly inclined to him. There was no rushing into each other's arms. Their meeting was full of tender and ingenuous reserve, which touched all present and made upon them the holiest impression. Then Jesus turned toward the other women, who lowered their veils and sank on their knees before him. He was accustomed to give his blessing at such meetings and leave-takings. I saw now a repast made ready, and the men in reclining around the table, the women at one end sitting cross-legged. They spoke indignantly of John's imprisonment, but Jesus rebuked them. He said that they should not be angry and pass sentence upon it, for it had to be. Were John not removed from the scene, he himself would not be able to begin his work and go to Bethania. Then he told them of the people among whom he had been. Of Jesus' coming, none knew excepting those present and the confidential disciples. Jesus slept with the other guests in a side building. He appointed the disciples to meet him after the next Sabbath at a house, high and solitary, in the neighborhood of Bethron. I saw him conversing with Mary alone. She was weeping at the thought of his exposing himself to danger by going to Jerusalem. He comforted her, telling her that she must not be anxious, that he would accomplish his mission, and that the sorrowful days had not yet come. He encouraged her to persevere in prayer, and exhorted the others to refrain from all comments and judgments upon John's imprisonment and the action of the Pharisees against himself, for such proceedings on their part would only increase the danger that the Pharisees' manner of acting was permitted by divine providence, though thereby they were working out their own destruction. Some mention was made of Magdalene also. Jesus again told them to pray for her, and think of her kindly, for she would soon be converted and become so good as to be an example for many. Early next morning, Jesus went to Bethania with Lazarus and about five of the disciples belonging to Jerusalem. It was the beginning of the Feast of the New Moon. And I saw floating from the synagogues of Capernaum and other places long streamers of knotted drapery and festoons of fruit on the principal houses. Part 9 John the Baptist arrested by Herod and imprisoned 
of Machiris. Herod had once before caused the Baptist to be arrested at the place of baptism and brought to him, where he kept him in custody some weeks in the hope of intimidating him and leading him to a change of sentiment. But through fear of the immense crowds that were hurrying to hear John, he had released him. John then retired to the place where he had formerly baptized near Anom and opposite Salem. It was one hour and a half east of the Jordan, about two hours south of Sokoth. The baptismal well was in the region of a lake, about a quarter of an hour long, from which two streams, after bathing the foot of a hill, flowed into the Jordan. On this hill were the remains of an old castle, whose towers were still habitable, and scattered around were gardens and walks and other dwellings. Between the lake and the hill was John's baptismal well. In the center of the spacious, cauldron-shaped summit of the hill, John's disciples had raised an awning over a terraced elevation formed of stone, and it was there that he taught. This region was under Philip's jurisdiction, but it ran like a point into Herod's country, who on that account was somewhat reserved in executing his designs against John. An uncommonly great concourse of people had assembled to hear John, whole caravans from Arabia on camels and asses, and hundreds of people from Jerusalem and all Judea, both men and women. The crowds came and went by turns, covered the cauldron-shaped plateau, encamped at the base of the hill, and stood on the heights around. The most beautiful order was established and maintained by John's disciples. Those nearest the preacher reclined on the ground, those behind them sat on their heels, while the outer rows stood, and this way all could see. The heathens were separated from the Jews, the men from the women, who always stood back in the last row. On the slope of the hill were other groups squatting, head and arms resting on their knees, or again clasping one knee and lying or sitting on the other hip. Since his return from Herod, John was as if penetrated by a new spirit. His voice sounded unusually sweet, and yet was so powerful and far-reaching that every word was understood. He again wore his mantle of skins, it was more roughly clothed than on where he had sometimes appeared in a flowing robe. His teaching was of Jesus and his persecution in Jerusalem. Pointing toward Upper Galilee, where Jesus was at that instant going about working miraculous cures, John said, But he will soon reappear in those parts. His persecutors will gain nothing over him until his mission shall have been fulfilled. Herod also and his wife came with a guard of soldiers to John's place of instruction. He had traveled from his castle of Livius twelve hours, passing near Debon, where he had to cross two branches of a little river. As far as Debon, the road was good, but after that it became very rough and difficult, properly speaking fit only for foot passengers and beasts of burden. Herod rode upon a long, narrow chariot on which one could recline or sit sideways. There were several with him. The wheels proper were heavy, low, round discs without spokes, though there were other larger ones and rollers at the back. The road was so uneven that on one side the chariot rested on the high wheels, and the other upon low ones. The journey was a painful one. Herod's wife, along with her ladies-in-waiting, rode upon a similar chariot. They were drawn by asses, preceded and followed by soldiers and courtiers. Herod had undertaken this journey because John was now preaching again, and that more boldly and zealously than before. He was anxious to hear him and learn whether he said anything personally against himself. His wife was only waiting for an opportunity to excite him to extreme measures against John. 
She hid her crafty designs, however, under a fair appearance. Herod had still another motive in making this journey. He knew that the Arabian king, Aretas, father of his repudiated first wife, had come hither to John, and to escape observation had mingled with the disciples. He wanted to see whether Aretas had any desire to stir up the people against himself. His first wife, a good and very beautiful lady, had returned to her father who, having heard of John's teaching and of his opposition to Herod's unlawful desires, had come to satisfy himself of the truth of what had been told him. But anxious to attract no attention, he was dressed simply like John's disciples, with whom he identified himself. Herod alighted at the old castle on the hill and sat during John's instruction upon the grated terrace in front. His wife, surrounded by her guards and attendants, sat on cushions under an awning. John was preaching in a loud voice, and at that moment crying out to the people that they should not be scandalized at Herod's second union, that they should honor him without imitating him. These words pleased Herod at first, though on second thought they irritated him. The fourth with which John spoke was indescribable. His voice was like thunder, and yet sweet and intelligible. He seemed to be exerting himself for the last time. He had already warned his disciples that his days were drawing to a close, that they, they should not abandon him. They should visit him when in prison. For three days he had neither eaten nor drunk. The whole time had been spent in teaching, proclaiming aloud his testimony to Jesus, and rebuking Herod for his adultery. The disciples implored him to discontinue and take a little nourishment, but he listened not. He was wholly under the spirit of inspiration. The view from the height upon which John taught was uncommonly beautiful. One could see off in the distance the Jordan, cities lying around, fields and orchards. There must have been here in days gone by a great building, for I could still see stone arches like those of the bridges, overgrown with thick green moss. Two of the towers of the castle, at which Herod stopped, had been lately restored, and it was in them that he lodged. This region was rich in springs and baths were kept in perfect order. The water that supplied them was brought through a skillfully constructed vaulted canal from the hill upon whose summit John taught. The baptismal pool was oval in form and encircled by three beautiful green terraces through which five pathways were cut. This region was indeed much smaller, but richer in appearance than that of Bethsaida at Jerusalem which is here and there rendered unsaintly and impure by reeds and by the leaves that fall into it from the surrounded trees. The baptismal pool lay behind the hill, and about 150 feet beyond was the great pond in which were numbers of fish. They seemed to be crowding to the side at which John was teaching, as if they wanted to hear. On the pond were little skiffs, trunks of trees hollowed out, large enough at most for two men only, with seats in the middle for fishing. John ate only a little poor honey. When he took food with his disciples, it was always in very small quantities. He prayed alone and spent much of the night gazing up at heaven. John knew that the time of his arrest was near. Therefore had he spoken as if under inspiration and as if taking leave of his auditors. He had announced Jesus more clearly than ever. He was now coming, he said. Consequently, he himself should retire and they should go to Jesus. He, John, was soon to be apprehended. They were, he continued, addressing his audience, a hard and indocile people. They should recall how he had come at first and prepared the ways for the Lord. He had built bridges, made footpaths, cleared away stones, arranged baptismal pools, and conducted thither the water. 
He had a difficult task, struggling against stony earth, hard rocks, and knotty wood. In these labors he had had to continue toward a people stubborn, obdurate, and unpolished. But they whom he had stirred up should now go to the Lord, to the well-beloved Son of the Father. They whom he received will be truly received. They whom he rejected should indeed be rejected. He was coming now to teach, to baptize, to perfect what he himself had prepared. Then turning toward Herod, John earnestly reproached him several times before the people for his scandalous connection. Herod, who both reverenced and feared him, was inwardly furious, though preserving a cool exterior. The instruction was ended, and the crowd began to disperse on all sides, people from Arabia and Aretas, Herod's father-in-law going with them. Herod had not caught sight of him. Herod's wife had already gone, and now he himself departed, concealing his rage and taking a friendly leave of John. John sent several disciples to different quarters with messages, dismissed the others, and retired to his tent to give himself up to prayer. It was already dark and the disciples had departed, when about twenty soldiers, after placing guards on all sides, surrounded the tent and one entered. John told him that he would follow quietly, that he knew his time had come, and that he must make way for Jesus, that he did not fetter him, for he would willingly accompany them, and that, in order to avoid a tumult, they should leave away with as little noise as possible. And so the twenty men hurried him off at a rapid pace. He had only his rough mantle of skins thrown about him, and his staff in his hand. Some of his disciples bet him as he was being led away. He took leave of them with a glance, and bade them visit him in his imprisonment. But soon the disciples and people mobbed together and cried aloud, They have arrested John! And then arose weeping and lamentations. They wanted to follow, but they knew not what direction to take, for the soldiers had turned quickly out of the usual way and proceeded southward by an unknown route. Intense excitement, grief, and mourning prevailed. The disciples scattered and fled in all quarters, just as they did later, at the time of Jesus' arrest. And the news was soon spread throughout the whole country. After marching with the soldiers the whole night, John was conducted first to a tower at Hezebon. Toward morning, some soldiers of the place came to meet the prisoner, for it was already known there that John had been arrested, and the people were gathering together in groups. The soldiers who had charge of John seemed to be a kind of bodyguard to Herod. They wore helmets, the breasts and shoulders protected by armor formed metal plates and rings, and they bore long lances in their hands. The people of Hezebon gathered in crowds before John's prison, and the guards had enough to do to drive them off. The upper part of the tower had several exterior openings. John stood in his prison, crying in a voice loud enough to be heard without. His words were to this effect, that he had prepared the waves, had broken rocks, had directed streams, had dug fountains, had built bridges. He had to cope with obstacles the most adverse and contradictory. It was owing to the obstinacy of those whom he now addressed that he had been arrested. But they should turn to him whom he had announced to him who had soon come by the paths he himself had made straight. When the master approached, then should they who had prepared his way withdraw, and all should turn to Jesus. The laces of those shoes he himself was not worthy to loose. Jesus, he continued, is the light, the truth, and the Son of the Father, etc. He called upon his disciples to visit him in his confinement, for no one would yet venture to lay hands upon him. His hour was not yet come. 
John uttered the above in a voice as loud and distinct as if he were addressing the multitude from an orator's stand. Again and again the guard dispersed the crowd, but the throng soon reassembled, and John's instructions recommenced. He was afterward led by the soldiers from Hezebon to the prison of Machaerus, the access to which was up a high and steep mountain. He rode with several in a low, narrow, covered chariot like a box, drawn by asses. Arrived at Macarius, the soldiers conducted him up the steep mountain path to the fortress. But they did not enter by the principal gate, but through a postern in the wall nearby, which overhanging moss almost concealed. Traversing a passage somewhat inclined, they reached a brazen door which opened into another that ran under the gateway of the fortress, and thence led into a large underground vault. It was lighted from above and was clean, though destitute of every species of comfort. For the place of baptism, Herod went to his castle of Herodium, which had been built by Herod the Elder, and where once, for mere sport, he had caused some persons to be drowned in a pond. Here, filled with dejection, Herod hid himself away and would see nobody, although many had already presented themselves to express to him their disapproval of John's arrest. A prey to inquietude, he shut himself up in his own apartments. After some time, John's disciples, provided they came in small numbers, were allowed to approach the prison, converse with him, and pass things to him through the grating. But if many came together, they were turned away by guards. John ordered the disciples to go on baptizing at Adon, until Jesus came to establish himself there for the same purpose. The prison was large and well-lighted, but its only resting place was a stone bench. John was very serious. His countenance always wore an expression of thoughtfulness and sadness. He looked like one that loved and heralded the Lamb of God, but who knew the bitter death in store for him.